The Air Force's long-running aerial refueling tanker program is three years behind schedule, but because of the way it structured the deal, the cost is less than the original estimates, and contractor Boeing takes most of the risk. The Government Accountability Office thinks the Air Force ought to share lessons learned from its contracting approach. Here with more, the GAO's Acting Director for Contractor and National Security Acquisition Issues, John Ludwigson. John, good to have you back. Thanks, Tom, for having me. First of all, the program itself, in some ways, is three years behind schedules. In some ways, it's 20 years behind schedule, if you really go back to the genesis of a new tanker. But give us the current status. Do they have any planes accepted, and do they do what they're supposed to do? The KC-46 is finally being delivered to the Air Force. And as you noted, this there's, this program has been through a couple of iterations uh, in trying to get it started. And, and it is, in fact, about three years uh, longer than expected, but at a cost about $9 billion less than expected. So there's more testing to do, but the deliveries mark a considerable progress in developing this vital piece of, of what the Air Force needs and the capability that provides uh, provides service to the other services as well. And you mentioned... I mean, there, there are some known deficiencies with this airplane, but uh, the fact that they're delivering them is big progress. Now, the deficiencies seem fairly serious because it sounds like the boom that the fuel goes through could scrape one of the stealth planes, and then once the stealth paint is off, it's not stealthy anymore, and that that would take several years to fix. Yeah, so there, there are a couple of things with the fuel delivery system that are what what we refer to as category one deficiencies. So there's the, the remote viewing system. So this is a camera that allows the, the boom operator to see the aircraft that is uh, attempting to take fuel. And it is that remote viewing system that does uh, potentially cause un- unintended impacts around the fuel receiving uh, receptacle that that can, for the, for the stealth aircraft, can take off the stealth coating. So that, that's a considerable concern. But really, that's, that is, in fact, some aircraft, not all aircraft. But the remote viewing system itself is, is problematic, really, under some lighting conditions. It works, it works well, as, as we understand, it works well under most lighting conditions. But in some lighting conditions, it's hard to see the receiving aircraft. And it is important to remember that when they're refueling, these, these airplanes are flying together. The, uh, the refueler is flying and the, the receiving aircraft is flying independently. So it's really important that they, they're able to see the, each other uh, as they're doing the refueling operation. And I was curious, did you look into the fact that originally this was supposed to be the repurposing of an existing airframe? But it sounds like almost everything about it is new because of how long it's taken to actually get to the point where they can start delivering even imperfect ones. Right. So this is derivative of the 767 commercial airplane that many people fly on every day. Uh, and it was redesigned to be a freighter, so the 767-2C, and then that, that freighter was further modified for military purpose. And, you know, some people have referred to it in different ways, but it, it it was derivative of the original 767 commercial aircraft. And you also mentioned in the report, too, that it would take some time to retrofit 106 planes with the improved program, the improved equipment, rather, for doing the refueling. But if they've only taken a couple of planes, can't the new ones that come out have the corrected technology on them in the first place? Yes. The challenge here is that they're, they've started to receive some aircraft. There are about 52 that are under contract and being in various stages of being developed. So they're in the process of, of, uh, of building those aircraft to the specifications. 
And so the remote viewing system, it's not clear what they're going to do to fix it, but it's likely potentially both a software and a hardware switch. So to develop the hardware and to develop the software is going to take, they think, a couple of years, and it is that window of time uh, during which other aircraft will be developed. They estimate that there'll be, there could be 100 airplanes that would have already be, uh, be up and flying by that time, and those would all need to be modified. A similar story with the, the boom. In that case, it was uh, the specification that was agreed to by the Air Force. Uh, the boom is, is stiffer than is ideal for the lighter aircraft, and so that's going to need to be redesigned. And again, it would take some time to get that redesigned and certified by the FAA, and then um, the redesigned boom would then be installed on the aircraft that had already been received. It sounds like the Air Force has made the decision, therefore, or the choice that it's better to take the planes that need to be upgraded later on than to wait for the upgrade and then take the planes. I think that that's right. And and it, it is important to note that these refuelers are a critical piece of the puzzle for the Air Force and the other services. They they literally allow aircraft to fly around the world without having to uh, land in order to take on fuel. So uh, there's a lot of missions. I think I think that we cited uh, in one of our prior reports that in 2015 that there were I believe 44,000 uh, aerial refueling missions that were undertaken, and and these are largely by the KC-135, which is getting pretty old at this point. But I believe in that 2015 window, one was taking off every 12 minutes uh, in order to conduct operations. So part of the challenge is the longer you keep the KC-46 out of service, the longer the KC-135 needs to continue to fly. And and keeping those aircraft um, up and flying is getting more and more expensive because of uh, maintenance issues and, and service needs. I guess maybe they could keep the 135 refueling the B-52. It would be almost like geriatric lovemaking or something in the sky. (laughs) We're speaking with John Ludwigson. He's acting director for contractor and national security acquisition issues at the Government Accountability Office. But in some ways, GAO has admired the contracting approach the Air Force has taken because, as you noted early, the price and the cost to the Air Force is coming down, and you feel there's some lessons learned in the contracting approach that the Air Force could share across the military, maybe across the government. Yes, this is, really is a unique situation where, uh, as you know, the many of the weapon systems that are being developed um, across the military are um, structured in different ways than this one. This is really a fixed price type contract where the government, and in this case Boeing, agreed to develop the aircraft uh, with some pretty tight constraints on how much it was going to cost. And with Boeing in the position to manage those risks that go with that development, uh, but also bearing responsibility if the costs uh, exceed expectations. In this case, we'd identified in a prior report that Boeing has acknowledged absorbing upwards of a billion dollars during the development phase on this aircraft. And also the Air Force is withholding some of the original price because of the defect, and I guess then the Air Force would pay it once those are repaired? Yes, that's right. The The Air Force is withholding about 20% of uh, the cost per airplane in anticipation of Boeing making an expedited case to get these uh, these deficiencies taken care of, at which point, once they're resolved all the deficiencies, I, I believe the expectation is that the Air Force would pay the, the remaining 20% on the aircraft that are, it's taking delivery on. And then you have drawn those lessons learned and 
GAO will share them while the Air Force finishes up dealing with the development? That's right. We we had previously identified that the Air, because of the uniqueness of this contracting approach, that we thought it would be helpful for the Air Force to uh, develop lessons learned. We did that in our 2012 report, and they, they concurred with that recommendation, but they intend to develop those lessons learned in, they think, about 2021. We, in examining this uh, this report, which is our our final review of the KC-46 program because they've started to receive the aircraft, uh, we identified a number of uh, aspects of the program that we thought were, were helpful and could be shared with other programs that are doing these kind of commercial derivative um, military aircraft. Uh, things like the fact that they built in a corrections of deficiencies clause that when these deficiencies were found, uh, Boeing remains responsible for correcting any issues with them uh, for aircraft that are delivered, and also the fact that they built in long-term pricing terms for the 175 aircraft that are going to be delivered by under this contract, and we think that's that's a pretty helpful uh, lesson to be learned. We also think that there are, are uh, some benefits uh, that they were able to realize with respect to helping keep requirements stable, which is part of the reason that those costs came in under. They'd estimated just as part of the program that they might need to make requirements changes, that they uh, kept their hands in their pockets and didn't uh, didn't make changes to the requirements, uh, and that saved them considerable amount of money. Also, reused some existing facilities instead of building new facilities for the KC-46. So a couple of those savings that we think are useful things for them to consider as they develop other commercial derivative aircraft. John Ludwigson is the Acting Director for Contractor and National Security Acquisition Issues at the GAO. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. We'll post a link to the report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.